This morning we're turning to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John, just a few books before Revelation. So you go to the back and turn left. And you'll go Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, and 1 John. So how many books do you have to turn left? Five? Interesting thing, the Hebrew Bibles, you actually turn left from Genesis to Revelation. So that would be interesting, having a Bible in English that goes from right to left. 1 John chapter 4, if you can remember, these were our memory verses just a, a couple of years ago. And I did mean for us to read our 2023 verses. We could do that sometime this afternoon. I hope we put that to heart. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. We memorized 1 John chapter 4 beginning with verse 7 for 2022. Let us again listen to this portion of God's Word. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time, If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He hath given us of of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Amen. This morning, I'd like to exhort us to something we should be practicing regularly, an exhortation to brotherly love. The Lord Jesus told His disciples, and we read this in Matthew chapter 24, that because iniquity, or the word is lawlessness, shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. It's easy to allow the the lovelessness out there in the world to affect us in here and in our hearts. It's easy to say, well, what's the use? People don't care about God's law and God's Word. You're met with uh, coldness, cold looks, and cold stares. and, And sometimes we can let that affect us instead of seeking to help others, affect others being light. Showing love, even though we're, as Paul said, the more I love, can you imagine? Perhaps you feel this way sometimes. He said, the more I love, the less I am loved. That was certainly a a point of hurt, wasn't it? 
more he seemed to try to love, the, the less others responded positively. Now there's an article before many here, so it reads, the love of the many shall wax or grow cold. And the many probably means the majority. The majority. And you might just experience this just walking on a busy sidewalk. Now I understand that, that people warn, especially our, 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 uh, our ladies, our young ladies, don't look at somebody in the eye because th- that might to them look like someone easy to rob or easy to take advantage of. So I understand that you need to be careful. But yet so often you, you, when you're walking on a busy sidewalk, you can tell the coldness or the sorrow or the depression of people. And Christians are to be lights in the world. We're to show people the love of God. That even though it's a fallen world and even though there's so much sorrow and tragedy that we can see the Lord's grace in in every situation and, and believe that text that so often it's tritely used but all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Though the Lord is primarily describing outside the church the love of the many, but yet we can find it inside. Remember, if you read the, the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, one church was a very good doctrinal and... Uh, defensive church the church in Ephesus they, they knew their doctrine they knew their Bible they, they uh, defended it they wouldn't allow wolves in sheep's clothing to abide in their church they were evangelistic they reached people with the gospel but the Lord said they left their first love your heart isn't with me you're going through the motions you're you're correct in your doctrine. You're, you, you know your Bible. And you have you know, a good church is of, of people who, who are defending the faith. But you've let your heart get cold. And Jesus said they need to repent and do the first works and love Him again freshly. And that's a message that we should take to heart daily, shouldn't we? Because lawfulness, law, I'm sorry, because lawlessness abounds, we should let lawfulness suffer. John calls his readers beloved five times in this epistle. And John was not someone that felt that he was the only one loving. He was a a very loving disciple. He's the one that leaned on Jesus' bosom. But it's not like he's saying, you need to love each other more. What does he say? Let us love one another. John included himself. He was not someone that thought he had arrived. Not just to be in word only, he says. Let us not love in word only, but in deed and in truth. So often it can be in word. It's a good thing to say, I love you to your spouse or to your child or brother. Just to say, I love you in the Lord, brother or sister. 
But sometimes it can be in word only, couldn't it? Heard about the wife that said, I love you to her husband, and he said, ditto. (laughs) In word only, right? We need to truly love one another. And the question people have is, what is love? It's described, and maybe it's something that's more described and more felt than it is really defined. We just read 1 Corinthians 13. It doesn't really tell us a definition of love. It says love is active. Love suffers long and is kind. And you go on from there. Love is not irritable. Love is not revengeful. It says love does not think evil. It doesn't mean... Yes, it's true that true love does not dwell upon evil. That's the idea. It doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't have a notebook of offenses that someone's committed against us and we turn the page and say, you know, this is what you did to me back in 19... No, love is forgiving, is willing to forgive, willing, ready to receive confession and sorrow and and not ready to to, uh, throttle the neck, so to speak. Aren't you glad the Lord isn't just ready to throttle us? He's there with His grace. And He gives us that parable, doesn't He, of the one servant that owed his master just an incredible amount. There was no way the man could have paid that back in a lifetime or several lifetimes. And he begged his Lord, please, just have mercy, have patience with me, and I'll pay you back. Of course, he couldn't pay him back. And his master just frankly forgave him, loved him. But the, the, Jesus tells the parable that that servant went and his, met his fellow servant that owed him just piddles, like a penny versus a million dollars. And his fellow servant fell on, this ground, on the ground because the servant said, I'm going to put you in jail if you don't pay me. And he fell on the ground. Please be patient with me and I'll pay you. And he throttled him and threw him in jail so that, until he paid him. And they reported it back to the Lord, the Master. And he was very upset. You need to keep that in mind that we, have, we owe God the vertical relationship with God. We owe Him so much. We sin against Him in word, thought, and deed, day after day after day. What if the Lord recorded all of our sins, even forgetting Him? He doesn't. He, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed them from us. Shouldn't we have that spirit? Help me, Lord, to forgive and help me to, to, to not choose to remember. I know sometimes some sins that have been, have been committed against you or me are, are very serious and hurtful and hard to forget. But we can choose not to remember. We can ask the Lord to help to push that away and altogether, if possible, out into oblivion to the deepest sea. Like it says, the Lord, He casts our sin to the deepest sea. He remembers them no more. So, brotherly love can be described, but very difficult to define. But, 
there is a somewhat of a definition in Romans where it says in Romans 12:10 be kindly affectioned one toward another. So the idea of affection, having a concern for one's holiness. Uh, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, and he didn't he didn't uh, uh, continue that tradition of feet foot washing. We have clothes, shoes now, and so on. But the point is, the spiritual point is, as 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 Jesus and his disciples and others in that day were concerned about having clean feet, the point is the concern about having clean hearts. And you and I want to wash each other's feet in the sense we want to promote the holiness of each other and point each other to being forgiving and kind and truthful and so on. That We're our brother's keeper. We're our sister's keeper. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is a famous chapter on love, but sometimes we forget that the the chapters and the Ten Commandments are famous chapters of love. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So the Ten Commandments are actually very uh, good descriptions of true love for the Lord. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, for instance. And our love for our neighbor. Thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not commit adultery or thou shalt not steal. These are commands of our love. Not just actions of, of uh, right and wrong, but the motive is there to love. If you love the Lord, you won't commit you know, these, the first four commandments. If you love your neighbors yourself, that you will take heed to the... In other words, the Ten Commandments are a direction of love. How do I love God? How do I love my neighbor? The Ten Commandments guide us how to direct our love. So our love is not indiscriminate in nature. Well, I'll just love today the way I just, I'll just let, let my heart go. No, the Lord directs our hearts how we should express our love in negatives and positives. Love is, is, some, is, is this description of loyalty. It says of Jesus in John chapter 13, Having loved his own in the world, he loved them to the end. See, love is faithful. It's loyal all the way to the end. A, a true friend is one that's not a, just a, what do they call it, a fair weather friend. Only when it, it benefits the person. When it doesn't benefit me, I know. The Bible says a friend loves at all times. Not just when the times are, are good, but the times are bad. John teaches us, the Bible teaches us that this love involves the whole family. Let us love one another. He's talking to all believers. In other words, no one's left behind there. Nobody can say, well, that's not me. That's just not me. It's somebody else. Now, we may be able to say that about a certain gift or certain, you know, as far as uh, whatever. Uh, I could never be a mechanic. I'm just giving an illustration. That's not me. And that, you know, I, I, I can wash windows and change oil. And even that sometimes I can, I can mess up and not screw the, the oil plug in properly. But as far as loving one another, that involves all of us. Let us love one another. John includes himself again. All need to participate. But you notice the exhortation. He exhorts in this passage where Jesus commands, for instance in John, uh, this I command you that you love one another as I love you, as I loved you. 
So the Lord commands this love and He also exhorts it. That's, isn't that the kindness of the Lord that He would exhort it and not always just command it? Now it's true, where it's commanded, it's a jolt to our wills because sometimes we're so, we lag behind and our love is so, so small and our hearts get so empty and, and we let that endure for a while. And the Lord jolts us with a command, love one another. And we say, Lord, how do I do this? I can't just make up my mind to love. And we pray, Lord, fill my heart with Your love. And, he, and the idea is read His Word and, and His truth gets in us. It, it sinks down into our souls and, and, and the Holy Spirit in us produces love. The Bible says love is a, is a, a fruit of the Spirit. And you read uh, Galatians 5, it's like a cluster of grapes. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Think about each individual grape in a cluster. The, lo- the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so on. It's, they're all grapes in a cluster. And the Lord is... It, sometimes we say, well, my, grapes, my grape of love is missing. But the Lord is saying it's there. And He produces that grape. And in other words, think of our hearts as, as, a, as a grapevine. And the Lord, or, or, and, and the Lord is, is a great branch, and the Lord is the vine, and, and we're saying to the Lord, my, my branch is missing some grapes. And the Holy Spirit's there to produce the, the flower and the, and, and the fruit. Every day we need that grape growing on the vine or on the branch, don't we? We need new grapes. In other words, John's saying, come on, let's do this. He's exhorting the believers. It's not, we can't read between the lines and, and say, well, John noticed he was, he was hearing that these churches became cold. Maybe, maybe not. Now, we know from when he wrote Revelation under God's help that he knew that because Jesus said that the Ephesian church had grown cold. So it's not, I don't think John is necessarily saying, I've heard that these that the, the, his listeners, now this is a general epistle, it doesn't tell us who he's writing to, so it's probably an epistle to many churches, so it's not so much that John is saying these churches are cold, he's saying keep doing it. He's stirring them up to not think they've ever arrived. Don't ever think we've arrived. Every day we need fresh love for the Lord and fresh love for each other. Come on, let's do this. None are left behind. And you know, when we think of that, the Surgeon General put out a, a, uh, a notice not too long ago about the isolation syndrome. That people are just lonely. And people are, are they're also facilitating their loneliness by, by keeping friends out of their circle. And he says it, it's, it's causing people to de- be depressed. And suicide and, and, and darkness. And he said, they need a friend. Believers need to watch out. It doesn't, it's not just outside the church where you find this. We were at a funeral yesterday of someone who had, had been plagued for years. And, they'd been, and she'd been through counseling. And, and it happens in the church. It happens in preachers' families. We need to see that we need more and more love for each other and to look out for people that are isolated. 
make ourselves available. So John says it's a family affair. And he says, secondly, it's possible because of God. He says, not only let's do this, he said, we can do this. He says, love is of God. So, and God is love in the sense that it, it descends from the Godhead. It's available to us to love one another. We can't say, well, I can't do it. That's just not me. Love is of God. It comes from God. In Psalm 133, it talks about unity and love, that it descends from the mountains to the valleys and from the top, the oil came from the top of Aaron's head to the his bottom of his garments. The idea, it comes from heaven and it descends to earth. We can't say it's just not me. We have to pray, Lord, we know that you can give us love. Please, like dew from heaven, like the oil that was poured upon the priests. Please, let heaven come down and fill our hearts. In other words, in one sense, it's natural because it's of God and he that's born of God can love. He that, is, he that loves not, he that he does not show love is showing he's never been born of God. A Christian is defined by someone who's born again, born of God. In other words, there's been a spiritual birth. A living human being is someone that's been born physically. A spiritual Christian being is someone who's been born spiritually. So it's natural in the sense it, it, he that is born of God loves. But when we say natural, we better be careful we don't say automatic. What's the word called? Automaton? Is that how it is pronounced? What's an automaton? Automatron. Automaton. What is that? It's an electronic thing that imitates a human being. And sometimes we can be, I guess the better word, the easier word for me to pronounce is robot. We can be robotic. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, we, we, we can be like that, can't we? Like, do we really mean it? Do we stop to wait for the answer of somebody else? How are you doing? How are you? No, I asked you, how are you doing? And when you said, well, do you really mean that? Is there... Can I pray about anything? In other words, we can be so robotic, can't we, with our responses and our, our interaction. Some examples in the Bible of people that showed love and made an effort. Moses, you remember, visited his brethren. Moses was in Pharaoh's household. But it came into his heart to visit his brothers. So he came down from the palace and went out into the quarries. And went out into the into the places where they were building, uh, you know, bricks, and where the, where his brothers were being whipped by the taskmasters. He went down to visit them. He cared for them. He loved them. He didn't care what what stigma it came. You you're a, you're a Pharaoh's son, and you're visiting these slaves. He didn't care what people thought of him. He loved his brothers. It's used of the lame man who held Peter and John after he was healed. He was so grateful that God used them to heal him. He went up into the temple with them to pray. Like the Apostle Paul, who was an arch enemy of the church when God saved him, it says he tried to join himself to the disciples and they wouldn't have it. They thought he was, you know, he was lying. He was deceiving them. I mean, if, if some 
let's just give an example. You would wish this could happen or would happen. But if Putin got saved today and started to knock on the church doors, I don't think at first that they would believe that he was being legitimate. Can God save a man like Putin? Can he? He's able to save to the uttermost. But in other words, John's saying it's who we are. A believer is a loving person. A Christian is a little Christ, literally. When we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, we think of love incarnate. And so many people will come to 1 Corinthians and say, Christ suffers long. Christ is kind. Christ is the, is the incarnate incarnation of charity, of love. It is natural to the true believer. It's what we do. It's our element. It's like a, a, a water is a fish's element. And we should say love is a Christian's element. What should we expect from a believer? And the Lord is teaching us here love. Love is expected. But it's, it's not automatic. In the sense that it's like a garden. A garden doesn't just happen. A garden happens when you till it and when you plant it and when you uh, weed it and water it and then you see the gardens when you look at someone's beautiful garden whether it's flowers or vegetables you don't say wow you don't ask them uh, how, how did this ha-? you must have great soil well that may be so but you you can make great soil by fertilizing it and, and so on But like, like a garden, love is cultivated. It takes time. It takes effort. Prayer. Reading of God's Word. Practice. Being with people. Confessing our sins. Pleading the Holy Spirit to produce more and more love as we give it out. That He gives more to put in. It's like you know, a river going into an ocean that that the Lord just keeps supplying it and supplying it. So the question is, it's, love is unnatural to a lost person. He that loveth not knoweth not God. This brotherly love. But love is truly natural to a true believer. When the Apostle Paul was saved, God told a man named Ananias, I want you to go talk to this man. And he said, You want me to talk to Saul of Tarsus? Lord, we've heard about this guy. He's put people in prison. He's had them executed. And he's come to this city. We're all in hiding, as it were. We're all on pins and needles. We're waiting to be arrested. And you want me to go talk to him? He just settled the man by saying he's a... He's a vessel of election. I've saved him. Go talk to him. And you know what, Ananias? He probably was trembling as he went and knocked on the door. Is Saul of Tarsus here? And they opened the door and he walked over and there he is. And God gave him grace to say, Brother Saul. That's the first thing he said. You're a brother. God told me you're a brother. When I was first converted in 78, I was in Faith Baptist Church in Morgantown, West Virginia. 
after I cried out to the Lord to save me, and a man was with me in a, in a, in a room just going over Scripture. And, and I just remember when I left the room, there were only a few people left because they, most of the people had gone home. But I remember seeing the Christians in that room as my brothers and sisters. And I just felt family now, a, a new family. I'm a sinner now saved by grace. And I've just seen and met sinners, truth, you know, like I am, also having been saved by grace. Paul or John says in verse eight that that this love is differentiating in nature. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In other words, uh, the world is. You're not going to find this kind of love in the world. That is the love of Christ. Oh, you know the word agape, love, is found in the world. People will sacrifice for their children, for their families. But there's not the love of Christ in the world for those who've never been saved. This is a distinct love of those that are in Christ, in the family of God. When I called home in 78 from West Virginia to share with my family that I was saved. Couldn't get a hold of anybody but my brother-in-law. And I said, Gene, I got saved today. What is a, a person saved two hours? Never, never owned, didn't read a Bible. What do I say? But whatever I said, he just silence. And those words, that's good, Phil, but keep it to yourself. Gene just died in November. And I don't think he was in, he died in Christ. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. That's what Jesus says. This is the distinct sign to the world that you are in Christ and I am in Christ. That we they see love among believers. It's not it's not that they see all these programs. I'm not saying that some of the things I'm describing are not good, but it's not that they see ornate buildings or many programs in the church or superior knowledge or good preaching or good praying. He says, love. The world is watching us interact. And that's why Abraham was concerned when his when his herdsmen and and Lot's herdsmen were arguing about their wells that they were digging and their land. They had so many cat so much cattle that they didn't have enough grass, and they were arguing over you know pasture land. And finally, Abraham said, "Look, we need to separate. We need to you know one of us needs to leave and find pasture land somewhere else because he said we're brethren." He he said, look, the world's watching. The world's watching us argue and complain when what they should see is true love and sacrifice. And exactly how Abraham acted. He said to Lot, choose wherever you want to go and I'll go the opposite direction. Isn't that interesting? Abraham didn't say, you know, what's the best area? I want that. He was the elderly man. He was the uncle. But he says to his nephew, you go wherever you want. And his nephew says, where's the best land? I'll take it. The nephew should have deferred and said, Uncle, really, you're the one that should make this decision. 
But Abraham showed him the love of God. The Canaanites are watching. And that's the, that's, that's the truth today. Our neighbors are watching. The towns are watching. Those who profess to be Christians, are they seeing love and sacrifice, kindness, forgiveness? That's what they should be seeing, right? John talked about it being evangelizing love. In chapter 7, verse 14, it talks about Jesus being the Savior of the world. We need to reach the world with the Gospel. John was borrowing that tomb from the Samaritans. From John chapter 4, it was the Samaritans that called Jesus the Savior of the world. And you see, John is unprejudiced. He's a Jew and he's, ta- and he's quoting the Gentiles or the Samaritans, which were a mixed breed, so to speak. And many of the Jews had, and the Samaritans had no contact with each other because of their prejudice. And here John's quoting the Samaritans. You see, you and I are epistles that are known and read of all men. May God help us to reflect the Lord who's in us. May the Lord help us all to interact with people. Our brother Hamilton, who lost his wife on Friday, is very good at soccer. and he, uh, He's in a soccer league a public soccer league and he's gotten to know his his teammates and he said a a, a couple one of the players was was one of his teammates and the player's girlfriend have been watching and listening and recently they got converted and are now attending his church down in what's in Lehigh Valley down in in Lumberport, Pennsylvania but he was interacting in in a soccer league May the Lord help us to interact, however it might be. Maybe becoming a fireman, or a baseball coach, or getting to know the people in town meetings, or going to flea markets, or co-ops, teaching music, or having a barbecue. I heard of a, a person that just invited their neighbors for a barbecue. Or the car wash that we have once a year. How do we interact with people? in our jobs, that our concern is not just to make a dollar, right? Is to see a soul converted. We can't be in our own bubbles and not interact with people. The Lord said, go into all the world, didn't He? He didn't just say, stay in the home. It's Christian love. It's sacrificial in nature. God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Christian love is sacrificial And it's saving in nature. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the covering for our sins. True love is Calvary love. If you and I are going to love sacrificially, seeing people point to the Lord, we've got to stay in the shadow of Calvary. What do we hear at Calvary? from Jesus' lips. Not too many sayings. We only have seven sayings of the cross. Do you remember any of them that show His love? What was the very first saying of the Lord Jesus? I hurt. Father, forgive them. 
forgive them. He's watching them throw dice for His cloak. Wouldn't you have been bitter if, you, if somebody while you're dying is trying to divvy out your possessions? Here's Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Concerned about His mother that she'll be taken care of. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. Concerned about the soul of the thief. Verily I say unto you, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Here's a man that's crucified and tortured. He has the right, as it were, to think about himself at that time. He's dying. And he's thinking about others. That's true love. And that can only be done in Christ. You ever been in someone's deathbed and they're asking about you and me? How are you doing? Making sure that their house is in order, that their, that their loved ones will be taken care of? That's how Jesus died. He wanted to make sure His Father was glorified and His loved ones were taken care of. Not that we love God, but that He first loved us. Remember that saying, we love Him because He first loved us. No greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. It's covenant love. He says, if God so loved us, don't forget the so loved, God so loved the world. How, the little word so, how much did God love us? He obligated Himself to love us. He sent Christ because He promised He would do so. And Jesus came because He promised the Father that He would die to save sinners. In other words, it was a promise. It was a covenant. It wasn't just a, a last-minute decision. Jesus didn't have, God didn't have to strong-arm, twist Jesus' arm to come and die for us. He came willingly. But God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit obligated themselves to save sinners. Just like, for instance, at a wedding ceremony, they've obligated themselves. They're, they're swearing with God as, with, with, the, with, the, with the church as a witness and before God that they're going to have a covenant relationship. And salvation is a covenant relationship with God. God will never stop loving us, but at times we stop loving Him, don't we? What if I grow cold toward the Lord? He'll never grow cold toward me. What do I need to do? I need to repent. Lord, I'm cold. I can't. I need Your help. My heart is empty. I come to the Lord's table when we come once a month and I look at the elements and I don't worship the elements, but I look at the elements like I look at a ring in my finger and say, if I don't love my wife, I've promised to do so. And so I repent if I don't love my wife as I should. And I look at the, the fruit of the vine and the bread and, I, and I, if I have a cold heart, I look and say, look, Jesus covenanted to love me. These represent His broken body and His shed blood. He went all the way to the cross to say, I will keep my promise. And that's a time for us to renew our devotion to the Lord and say, forgive me for my cold heart, Lord. Please help me to keep my promise to love you. 
with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Well, that's not an easy one, is it? I suppose we'd say if if we were walking in a, toward a train track and somebody, a brother or sister of ours, crossed first and the, play, and the train was about to hit, I think we might all make the decision to dive and push the other person off even if it means that we get crushed. But that's the ultimate. But what about the immediate examples of laying down our lives for our brethren and sisters? Weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Time spent. Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of offenses. All these things are are examples of, of true love. And I close with the thought that this love is reciprocal in nature and it's impartial in nature. Notice he says, let us love one another. One another. Keep that in mind. One another. What that means is it's two-way. It's not one way. He doesn't say, let us love another. It says, he's talking to true believers, let us love one another. Don't just be the object and say, I challenge you to love me. No, the believer says, no, I'm not waiting to be loved. I'm going to love whether they love me or not. That's what Paul meant. The more I love, the less I am loved. Paul was going forward. He was bending forward. He was seeking to love, even if he wasn't loved. But the Bible teaches one another. The Lord's telling the person that has his arms crossed and is waiting to be loved, you need to step forward and not just wait for the other one. Because I stepped forward to love you and gave myself for you. How can you not love another, even if they don't love you? I died for people that didn't love me. I died for people that were throwing dice for my possession. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for people that loved Him. He died for people that hated Him. And how many of the one another's are in the New Testament? You ever been to ice cream stores that have, you know, 65 flavors? I hope this isn't a trite illustration, but I, I, I liken the one another's in the, in the New Testament like an ice cream store. And, you know, everybody has their own favorite ice cream. And there are certain ice creams I'll never touch. You go into these places and they've got, I don't know, garlic and pineapple ice cream or roadkill ice cream or whatever. I'm just giving examples. I'll never touch them. And you know, there are some of these one another loves that we say, I'm not going to touch that, but I'll touch this. They're our favorites. But here, let me just read a few of these. Edify one another. That would kind of be like vanilla ice cream. I think we all agree we can do that. We want to do that. But salute one another. In other words, friendliness. Or be kind to one another. Bear one another's burdens. Well, I'm not sure I want to go that far. That might cost. That might become inconvenient if I try to bear someone's burdens and get close to them and see how they're doing. Submitting yourselves one to another. Wow, that's, that's a hard one. That's, that's uh, whatever you described. That's vinegar ice cream. 
comfort one another, prefer one another above each other. Now that's the, the real ice cream I won't touch, right? Esteem others ab- above ourselves. Be kindly affection one to another. Be at peace with one another. Admonish one another. Serve one another. Show hospitality one to another without grudging. As I said earlier, our homes can be more like museums than places where we show hospitality. The Lord has given us our possessions that we might be generous and share, provoking one another to love and good works, forbearing or being long-suffering toward one another, confessing our faults one to another, praying for one another, forgiving one another. All of these are what John means, let us love one another. He doesn't say, just pick and choose your favorites. He's giving us the general, love one another, and he's saying, look at the specifics in the New Testament and study each one of them and get involved. And yet so often we say, I don't want to get involved. I'll pick and choose my vanilla and my chocolate chip, but I'm not going to touch the other ice cream flavors. It'll cost me time. It'll cost me humility. It'll cost me inconvenience. I guess we can agree that Jesus became inconvenient to live and die for us. And only the Lord can touch our hearts to agree with His Word here. But... Jesus is teaching us that this Christian love is interactive. It's reciprocal. It's two-way. It's impartial. And what I mean by that, we can not only be careful, we can be choosy about the kind of one another love, but we can also be choosy about who we love that way. We can say, well, I'm going to love those who love me. And Jesus warned us, don't just love those that love you. Go out of your way and love people that don't love you or are unloved by others. John writes his epistle to children, to fathers, to older people. He writes about poor people. He writes about people that are down and outers. So in other words, the context of this whole epistle is this one another love is not just to those that are of the same as you and I are. But go out of your way to love people that are unloving or unlovely. And or that cannot reciprocate your love. You see, brother and sister, this is the Word of God and sometimes He gets really... He takes the dagger of His Word and He, and he plummets it and He turns it and turns it in our hearts. And either we get, resist His Word, either we, either we become like clay. In other words, someone gave the illustration, the same sunlight will either harden the clay or soften the wax. So is our heart clay that's being hardened by the light of God's Word? Or is it wax that's melting at the light of God's Word? God help us to plow together in love. To pray, O Lord, I pray that my cluster is full. And do you notice the very first grape that's described in Galatians 5 is love? The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's first and foremost. Just like Jesus said, hatred is the norm today. You can, you know, I can expect 
coldness in the world. Too often we find it in the church. But the world, like the Canaanites and Abraham in Lot's day, is watching. But I also say the church is watching. The angels are watching. The Lord is watching. I trust that anyone that comes into the doors, through the doors of this church, can say, The love of Christ is here. What is the state of the church or this church? I trust that it is a state where we cry out, Lord, pour out your love into our hearts. You know this, the, the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan? It's a famous parable in Luke chapter 10. And you know the story that the guy that was um, robbed and beaten, left for dead, and, and religious people went across the street to get away from him. But the Good Samaritan risked his life. Who, knew, who knows? Maybe the robbers were close by and he risked his life and he, he took care of the man and brought him to the inn and, and said, anything more that, that you spend, I'll pay you when I get back. But we know that's speaking of Jesus. But one year, I remember what hit me. The very next passage, before the chapter ends and goes to chapter 11, is the, is the incident of Mary and Martha. Remember the incident of Mary and Martha? Jesus is in the house and Mary took time to sit at His feet and listen to His words. And Martha was all anxious and angry that Mary wasn't helping her. And you can't read between the lines that Mary was lazy. It's just that Mary was saying basically, Martha, we don't have the Lord in our house very often. Let's take time to sit and listen. But Martha... She just wanted to keep working. And we understand both sides, yes, are challenges. But the Lord turns, Martha says, Lord, don't you care? My sister is seated at your feet. Look at all the work I have to do. I have to clean and cook. And Mary's not helping me. Tell her to help me, Lord. And Jesus turns to Martha and says, Martha, Martha, you're so anxious. Mary has chosen that good part that shall not be taken away from her. What was Jesus doing in Mary and Martha's house? He was the good Samaritan helping the the woman who had been robbed of her joy, who was beaten and left for dead. Martha was the man in the parable who had been beaten and robbed and left for dead. Jesus was the Good Samaritan. He showed us a real life story of the Good Samaritan at the end of chapter 11. Martha was left for dead, all anxious, lost her joy. And Jesus was saying, He was taking the oil and the wine and pouring it in. He was was taking the the bandages and, and wrapping her wounds. Martha, it's time to take time to be with me. You got need to be like Mary in this case. And Lord, I trust has come to us today, and He sees us if we've been robbed of our joy and emptied of our love, and 
tempted to be self-centered, He's come to us today and say, remember the cross. Remember how much I loved you. I'll give you grace. Look to the needs of others. Glorify me in your life. He's saying, brethren, let us love one another. The love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Amen. Lord Jesus, please help us. We do get anxious and upset and bitter at times. and We need Your help, Lord. So often we point the finger and we get upset like Martha did to Mary. And we just need to look in the mirror and say, Help, Lord. We're going to give account to You. and We can't change others that may be in need of the same as we are, but pray that we would first of all see the, the beam in our eyes. Forgive our sins, Lord. Fill our hearts with Your love for Thee and for each other. Please help us to not just pick and choose the kinds of one another love that we want to exercise. So many, Lord, we just leave alone. Please give us all grace to go outside our comfort zones and to love people with sacrificial love and to love You, Lord, as we ought. Fill us with Your Spirit. Forgive our sins. Pour out Your love into our hearts. Every day, please, fill our clusters with every fruit of the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.